This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we'll get an update from the state capitol, where lawmakers are midway through the legislative session. And we'll hear about a new nonprofit that aims to support Colorado music creators. We're seeing a resurgence of this patronage model where those who have means are given the opportunity to provide for artists and creators that they really believe in. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. State lawmakers are about halfway through the 2022 legislative session. And while lawmakers have been busy with hundreds of bills introduced, they still have plenty of issues to tackle in the remaining two months or so. Scott Franz is our state capitol reporter, and he's here now to bring us up to speed on what's happening. Hi, Scott. Hey, Erin. So more than 450 bills have been introduced in the last two months. Which ones have stood out the most to you? It's it's really hard to choose because there there have been so many in it. You know, they've affected so many, um, you know, different policy arenas. Um, things also started out pretty slow. But in the last few weeks, I'd say there have been some really impactful ones moving through. Um, for example, I, I traveled to Salida last month and talked to a county clerk about a bill um, that aims to protect her and other clerks from these rising threats they face stemming from the 2020 election. Um, that's been a theme here in the opening act of the legislative session, election security. It, it means different things for Democrats and Republicans, but that debate is going to carry on for the next two months, especially with another major um, midterm election coming up. Um, you know, there's also been several bills aiming to address this drought we're in. You know, it affects so many people's lives in, you know, everything from, um, you know, recreation to agriculture. Um, there's an interesting one to pay homeowners to, rep- to replace their grass lawns with plants that don't need as much water. That's getting bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, you know, I've, I've really been following this new focus on wildfire prevention and how the state can you know, start to adapt with this um, new threat it faces with blazes like the Marshall Fire. I think lawmakers are still grappling with, you know, the best response to that. And, you know, this will be something that carry on that carries on for, for several years. Right. Well, speaking of adapting to threats, we've seen coronavirus safety protocols being relaxed at the Capitol uh, as that situation rapidly improves. Has that also affected the tone of this session? Yeah, it definitely has. I'll, I'll say that I think me and one other reporter were the only two people at a press conference the other day uh, still wearing masks. You know, lawmakers from you know both sides of the aisle have now just um, gotten rid of them. Um, but it also means they're starting to focus on um, a whole new set of of bills, and you know, instead of trying to figure out you know what what um, programs to cut or, you know, what money to get rid of and, and save because of the threat, you know, they're starting to, to ask, you know, what new things can we fund? You know, one of the most interesting and, and impactful examples of that is it is a plan to offer college tuition to thousands of foster youth growing up in the state. You know, this is something that advocates have been pushing for for several years, but um, it comes with a big price tag. But with the financial situation improving, with the case numbers going down, you're starting to see lots of debates over, you know, growing government and expanding um, government spending, which is a an interesting theme. Hmm, indeed. 
Well, legislative sessions are also defined by some unexpected events. Scott, I'm thinking of the time that Democrats used a set of computers to read bills at superhuman speed a few years ago to overcome filibuster attempts. Has anything out of the ordinary been happening at all so far this session? Right. Well, we always do get a few surprises here at the Capitol. Um, And yesterday there was actually a a scary one in the building. Lawmakers on the House floor um, say they saw Republican Richard Holtorf running into the chamber to cast a vote very quickly. And as he was entering the chamber, um, he dropped his handgun on the floor. And luckily it did not go off. Um, But a Denver Post reporter and, and several lawmakers say that you know, people who were nearby were were jolted by it. Um, I've also seen some Democrats on social media calling the situation unacceptable, dangerous. Um, and Alec Garnett, the Democratic Speaker of the House, says he's going to look into maybe changing some rules um, to prevent similar incidents in the future because lawmakers, um, you know, are legally allowed to conceal carry, um, you know, in the Capitol building. But um, yeah, this definitely spooked a lot of a lot of people in the building. Yeah, I can understand that. Now, what debates are going to define the closing weeks of the session? Yeah, I I think election security is going to be one of the most heated ones that um, lawmakers will have over the next two weeks. Democrats actually just unveiled their response um, to the recent indictment of Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, who was charged recently for her alleged role in a security breach of voting equipment. Um, Their bill aims to protect elections from insider threats like, um, you know, election workers, tampering with equipment, things like that. Um, It it would also make it a crime for election officials to knowingly spread misinformation um, about elections. Uh, Here's Senate President Steve Finberg, a Boulder Democrat, um, talking about this bill and why um, why he wants to push it so quickly. I don't think it's too much to ask to say if you're if you're running our elections, you can't lie about our elections. Um, if you are running our elections, you need to approach it with integrity and honesty. Meanwhile, Republicans have been spending the session um, pursuing bills that try to switch voting machines uh, and change the paper that ballots are being printed on. Uh, but Democrats are quickly blocking these. There was also a record-breaking debate over a major abortion bill. Can you talk about this effort and why it's generating so much controversy? Right. So this is another bill from Democrats that is it's basically trying to protect the state's unrestricted access to abortions. We've seen other states, including Texas and Florida, pass restrictions on the procedure recently. Um, you know, it's also widely in the news that the, the U.S. Supreme Court may um, you know, revisit the, the precedents, um, you know, protecting access to abortion. So Democrats in Colorado want to um, basically put it into state law that, you know, that um, there's a fundamental right to abortions in the state. And this has really kicked off, um, you know, in the House alone, we've now had more than 40 hours of debate on this issue as Democrats advance this bill. Um, you know, they lawmakers in the House watched the sunset on Friday night, and then they watched the sunrise on Saturday morning, still debating this bill um, <laughs> with, you know, in, in what was, um, as many observers here say, one of the um, longest debates in modern legislative history. Um, so it has cleared the House. It is now heading to the Senate, where I expect there will be um, plenty more hours of debate over it. And, um, 
you know, potentially some, um, you know, some, some national attention. You know, this is an example of a one of the handful of states in the nation that, you know, do have such unrestricted access at a time when, um, you know, other states are visiting this policy. So it'll be interesting to to follow that debate to its conclusion. Well, Scott, when we talked with you just ahead of the opening of the legislative session back in January, lawmakers had a ton of priorities on their agenda. What are they going to be focused on now in the next few weeks? Well, there is so much still left, Erin. I mean, we, we, we've we reached this milestone of, of halfway, but it, it doesn't really feel halfway yet because um, there, there still are so so many bills out there. I mean, only, I think just above 30 have been actually signed into law and with more than 400 still pending, um, you know, we have the governor's entire public safety plan, you know, his efforts to reduce crime in the form of um, grants to communities for street lighting and, you know, to police departments to hire and retain a more diverse workforce. Those bills are still moving through. Um, There's an interesting one It's expected to come back up soon, trying to protect marijuana users um, from being fired or denied a job because of their marijuana use at home. Um, You know, there's uh, an effort to ban flavored tobacco products in the state. Um, There's also, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for affordable housing and behavioral health programs. I'm leaving out so much because um, (laughs) there just are dozens and dozens of bills that still need to have their initial debates and you know part of part of the reason you know the the second half of the session feels like such a um you know at much a more rapid pace and more eventful is because lawmakers you know have to wait for the state budget to get wrapped up later this month you know so they know how much money they have to work with and anything that has a big price tag generally has to wait for that process to go through and then you know, things get crazy and um, we'll be watching a lot more sunsets from the uh, the Capitol building and maybe even some sunrises. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> Hopefully not too many sunrises. And I hope the coffee never runs out at the Capitol for you. <laughs> exactly. Scott Franz is KUNC's state Capitol reporter. You can keep up to date with what's happening at the State House by following him on Twitter at Scott F-R-A-N-Z 10 or, of course, by going to our website, KUNC.org. Scott, thank you so much for the update. Hey, my pleasure, Aaron. Thank you. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Colorado has a thriving music scene with hundreds of musicians, music venues, and recording studios making up the industry here. Now a new music nonprofit has officially launched to help up-and-coming musicians by providing mentorship and financial support. Black Fret was started in Austin in 2013. They opened a chapter in Seattle a few years later, and they're now adding Colorado as the third chapter. To learn more, I'm joined by Danny Grant, the launch director for Black Fret Colorado. She's also the owner and general manager of the Mishawaka Amphitheater in northern Colorado. Also with me is Kyle James Hauser, a member of the launch committee and the artist development manager at the Music District in Fort Collins. Welcome to you both. Nice to be here. Thanks, Aaron. 
I want to start with the backstory of Black Fret. Danny, let me put this to you. Where did it get started and why was it created? You know, the guys who started the Austin Music Foundation in Austin, um, they began this organization because when they passed off the Music Foundation, what they realized was that they had done all this great work educating and training artists on what to do. But once they got to that point without capital, they were really kind of stuck. And so they felt like their next moves were to create an organization that would help them bridge that gap and get them to the next place in their career. And that's where Black Fret began in Austin. Okay. And how does it work? You know, Black Fret is an evolution of the age-old symphony patronage model. You know, it's taking fans of popular music and creating an opportunity for them to see very intimate shows, become fans of local musicians, be able to provide assistance to those musicians, and, you know, create a culture of of people that are, you know, engaged and connected and making an impact on local musicians. And how did you become involved, Kyle? So I was asked to join the National uh, Expansion Committee, which was in 2021, maybe late 2020, I'm trying to remember, but it was a collection of industry professionals and um, current members for the Austin chapter uh, across the country. And we had monthly discussions to try to determine where the best markets would be to uh, expand the Black Fred model. Uh, we worked in tandem with the University of Texas who did a market research analysis and gave us a really beautiful presentation, um, taking into account all sorts of different things, number of independent venues, number of listed bands, annual revenue in music industries of um, I think something like 25 or, or 30 states across the country and ultimately determined that Colorado was the most logical uh, next step uh, for Black Fret. Uh, A lot of that had to do with our rabid live music fans we have here, um, the number of independent venues, and certainly the robustness of the developing musicians in our state. So it almost sounds like you didn't have to lobby super hard to get it here, that it was kind of a logical, natural choice. Yeah, it was really nice. And I have to say, being on that committee with a number of professionals all across the country, you know, there are a lot of really cool music scenes that were represented. So to see Colorado rising to the top was uh, an affirmation of the work that we're all here to do, which is there is really powerful, meaningful music being made in the state of Colorado. And I think, you know, the more that we can give those artists a launch pad, uh, we'll see our the music industry in Colorado really strengthen and and become bigger and bigger. Danny mentioned this is a patronage model. Kyle, you are a touring musician yourself. What does patronage mean from an artist's perspective? So I would say, you know, patronage, patronage to me, if you imagine like in the very old days when becoming a professional musician, I'm talking hundreds of years ago, centuries ago, uh, there were people who had means, who provided those means to artists. Now, music was always being created as as a social good, really a a necessity for life, right? Like coping mechanisms, expression. um, It's it's an art form in its its purest form. However, at a certain point when 
civilizations began being formed, there were people who had means who were able to provide, you know, means to people, uh, to artists to spend their entire lives dedicated to music, really. And within uh, our modern world, that patronage model has shifted, you know, a little bit more to people trying to support artists through buying tickets, you know, buying albums, which we know doesn't happen so much anymore. Streaming revenues are kind of not a thing. So it's been interesting because I think we're seeing a resurgence of this patronage model where those who have means are given the opportunity to provide for artists and creators that they really believe in. And Black Fret is a great model to do that. Like Danny was saying, there's a well-worn path for traditional music styles, the symphony, uh, art forms like the ballet, right? And so Black Fret's sort of taking that traditional model, asking for similar dollar amounts from members, but giving them access to contemporary music across all genres, rap, uh, hip hop, rock and roll, EDM, pop, Americana, whatever it is, um, in a very comfortable space for them. Yeah. And, you know, I would add on to that, actually, you know, it's an incredible opportunity for people who love music, who aren't necessarily going out to clubs and bars and that kind of thing, and that can get in there and really make a difference for an artist. Because these days, a living wage for an artist at the beginning of their career is impossible. So handing them a significant grant that can take them out to the market with a polished, you know, record and marketing and merchandise and all the things that they need in order to get themselves to that next space where they might be able to make a living wage is critical in an artist's lifestyle. In a way, this reminds me of some of the newer crowdfunding models like Patreon, but with more of a targeted impact yeah, so I think that Patreon, I mean, Patreon's a wonderful thing. And I think crowdsource funding, I mean, when I, before I got my first record deal, I did a Kickstarter in the very early days where Kickstarter was an invite only platform and that was instrumental. And I raised, I think, 10 or $15,000. And that was great. That was a great way to rally a community and to support me to, to kickstart my career. However, Black Fret, I think the power in Black Fret is the power in the community, because when you run a Kickstarter or a Patreon, you're a single point of gravity, right? Each artist is their own sort of single point, and you're trying to collect your communities around just one individual. What Black Fret does that's so remarkable is it creates an entire community around the ecosystem that highlights all different kinds of artists. It welcomes all different kinds of people. And so it gives supporters the opportunity to fund artists who they have never heard of, who they don't know, where they are unlikely to find their Patreon or Kickstarter page. They, as a Black Fret member, will find these new artists and be able to cast their vote in supporting them. And again, Kyle, you're a musician. You also work with artists on their development within the music district. What do you anticipate the impact of Black Fret will be here for artists and for the Colorado music scene? Yeah, so I, th I think it'll be huge. Um, one of the critical elements in an artist's career, as we've been talking about, is getting some of that startup capital, right? Getting uh, uh, an, an enough money to make a professional sounding record to create professional looking branding that's imagery, that's video, that's copy, you know, bios and all of that kind of thing. And that really is critical. And what we provide at Artist Development, and there are a number of, of great folks across the state who are really 
investing in artist development. Um, but we can provide a team for those artists as they begin. We sort of think of ourselves as like bridge, trying to bridge the gap, developing artists to ultimately getting placed with management, label, agent, whatever their goals look like. And, and we have some really great organizations across the state of Colorado, like 7S Management and Future Gardens. But for artists who are developing, who don't yet necessarily have a professional record, it can be very daunting to raise enough money to make a record that can be competitive. Um, and so having an organization like Black Frat, I mean, it's a model that I've never seen before. And as someone, uh, as I said previously, who relied on crowdsource funding to get myself going, that, that seems to be the well-worn path for the last 15 years for artists. It's either crowdsource funding or borrowing money from you know, family if they're able to do so, or if they're very fortunate you know, to be able to ha have that money themselves from wherever it came from. But to create a, an organization, a nonprofit, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that can provide that amount of money, and we're talking five to $25,000, that can really be the critical change. And what we have in Colorado that I think is so remarkable is a number of people, again, who are here on the ground ready to support artists. So when they have a $15,000 grant, they can come to me and my team at Music District. They can come to, you know, another organization across the state and say, okay, now how do I make the most of this funds? And at the Music District, we too are a nonprofit. So we really see Black Fret as a great ally alongside the work that we're trying to do of supporting these musicians who want to have careers, but without that startup capital, it can be impossible in some cases. That's good to know the personal and professional impact grants like this can have for the artists themselves. Danny, what is the overall financial impact potentially going to be? What kind of money has been raised in Austin and Seattle? Well, Austin has been in place for eight years now, and they've got upwards of 600 members um, with Seattle trailing behind just three years old. Um, and I think they're up over the 100 member point. But those monies that have been put together have afforded about two and a half million dollars in the pockets of up and coming artists. Another million and a half going to the indie venues and the music ecosystem that surrounds the venues and the artists, which is you know, so significant. And when you think of the power of 600 people or 200 people or 100 people, putting money directly into grants for artists and sponsors coming along, like partners that we have who have been incredibly generous, like Tito's and Weldworks and you know, Meow Wolf and all sorts of incredible people and organizations who choose to get behind this, um, not to mention major artists who get behind this. You know, we've got Pearl Jam members and Head in the Heart, and we have you know, lots of other very big artists who have decided that this is something that they want to get behind. Um, and when you start talking about funds like that, you're talking about career changing awards. You know, these are, you know, I was in Austin for the Black Fret Ball this past December and watched them hand out $252,000 to 20 bands. You know, the mm -hmm. largest award being in the $25,000 range and the smallest at 12,000. And that is the kind of money that is going to change paths. It's going to create opportunities that I haven't, I haven't seen been given yet to date. So this is a really powerful tool. And how can 
fans get involved and how can artists get involved? I, you know, fans can get involved by becoming members. Absolutely. Um, and if you can't become a member, you know, it's a $750 per year investment that provides you an opportunity to see monthly, if not more intimate sessions with artists that are nominated as Black Fret bands. Um, it also gives you the opportunity to vote on who's going to win those awards. Um, you know, but if, if it's not right for you now to do that, there's lots of ways that you can help Black Fret grow. Um, and I'd ask anyone who's interested to reach out to us. Um, I'm Danny D-A-N-I at blackfret.org. And, you know, I think, you know, becoming a member is super easy on the website. So, um, and just come out and, and, you know, RSVP for some of these events to learn more. I think it's going to be one of the most incredible additions to Colorado's music ecosystem. Danny Grant is the owner and general manager of the legendary Mishawaka Amphitheater, and she's the launch director for Black Fret Colorado. Kyle James Hauser is the artist development manager at the Music District in Fort Collins and a member of the launch committee. Thank you both so much for talking with me about this. Thanks for asking us about it, Aaron. Yeah, it's our pleasure. To learn more about Black Fret, including some upcoming live music events happening in Denver and at Weldworks in Greeley, visit blackfret.org Colorado. That's our show for today. And just a reminder, you can hear Colorado Edition on demand by subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Sean Corcoran is our executive producer. Digital editing is handled by Ashley Jeffcoat and Jackie High. And our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.